shouldn't the be Second Amendment is still part of our Constitution. There's no excuse for bigotry. And we need to protect their rights because Republicans can't Breaking news out of Minneapolis today as the Hennepin County attorney ruled to not Islam is holding our country hostage, and we must use everything in our power. The idea of global warming is a shouldn't be posting hate speech. Period. Everyone yelling at each other actually started praying for each other. Something might actually change. There's no excuse. The idea of global warming is holding our country hostage, and we must use everything in our power to stop America. Welcome to Eagle Bird Church. It's really good to have you with us today, whether you're at one of our campuses or you're watching this message online. Before I jump in, I just want to give you an update on Easter. And if you've been around here for a while, you kind of know the routine. We share these big numbers and then we clap and celebrate. But if this has gotten a little bit rote for you, I just want to remind you that each of these numbers represents a real person who has a real story and a real life. And they came to church last weekend just hoping to hear something from God, and God met them in a really powerful way. So with that as the backdrop, let me share with you that across our six campuses, we had 44,273 people attend. That's up over 1,200 from Easter last year. And then we had 267 adults and 370 kids put their faith in Jesus Christ for the very first time. Amazing to see what God's doing. That's in part because of those of you who invited, who took a risk and said, hey, I think you're going to love this. God wants to do something in your life, and you invited someone to come with you. If you were here last weekend and you prayed that prayer, but you just didn't tell us about it and we don't know about it, we would love to celebrate that with you. In fact, we don't want anything from you. We just want something for you. And so if you prayed that prayer, but you didn't tell anybody, as you leave your campus today, there's a sign in the lobby that says, next steps. Just stop off and let them know, hey, I prayed that prayer with Bob on Easter. We've got some free resources we want to give to you. Or you can text the word BELIEVE to the number you see on there on the screen, 555-888. Text the word BELIEVE to 555-888, and we'll send you those resources that way. Okay, today we're beginning a brand new series called Culture Clash, because we live in a culture that has become increasingly polarized on social issues. Have you noticed this? Red state, blue state, racial tension, gun laws, immigration. Watch the news, read a paper, scroll through your social media feed, and you will quickly, quickly realize that there are a lot of people today who disagree with one another. Part of that disagreement, I think, is because we live in a culture that has this tendency to pit two things against one another that are both actually true. So culture will say it's this or it's that when really it's more this and that. It's not an either or as much as it's a both and, and we see these kinds of tensions everywhere in life. Should I exercise or should I eat healthy? Both. Should I pay off my debt or should I save up for the future? Well, both if you can. As a parent, do you let your kids make their own mistakes or do you try to protect them and guide them through life? Well, both at different times. You can see this tension in dating as well. In fact, I was reading through some old cards that I had written to my now wife, Sarah, when we were just dating. And some of these go back to high school. 
And you can tell that I'm kind of feeling this tension. I want her to know I like her, but I also don't want to creep her out and throw the love word out there too soon. So I would say things like this, I really like you. And then two sentences later, I would say, I like you so much. I also said some things that make me wonder if I was frequently dropped as a child. <laughs> For example, I wrote her one card on Christmas about a year after we had started dating, and I said some cute things about her personality. I had a couple cliches about how God must have spent a little extra time on you. I'm like, oh, come on. But then I also said some stuff that was just downright weird. For instance, I wrote in this card, I was watching the movie Indecent Proposal last night, and it reminded me of how deep our love has gotten. <laughs> what? <laughs> Indecent Proposal? The movie about how a guy offers a woman a million dollars to sleep with him taught you about how deep your love has gotten? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard anyone say and I'm the one who actually said it. <laughs> then, just two months after we started dating, I wrote Sarah in this card. I said, I consider myself blessed to have a girlfriend who has no baggage whatsoever. <laughs> Spoken like a guy two months into any relationship, right? <laughs> two months in, you're like, you don't have baggage, I don't have baggage. Well, you just wait, you both got plenty of it. But you can kind of tell that I'm feeling this tension. I, I, I don't want her to, I want her to know I like her, but I also don't want to creep her out and make her think I'm a weirdo. I feel like I accomplished one out of two of those really well as I read through these cards. But my point is, there are these tensions in life. And sometimes the culture says it's this or that, when really it's more this and that. And so for these next five weeks, we're going to look at some of the most common of these tensions. Next weekend's message is tolerance or intolerance. You hear that word get thrown out all the time these days. Well, you're being intolerant. You need to be more tolerant. What does that really mean? We're going to have a message in this series called Personal Faith or Organized Religion. Some people say, you know, I don't need to go to church. I have a personal relationship with God. Other people say, I don't need to read the Bible and have a personal relationship with God. I go to church. Today's message is titled Grace or Truth. Which one is it? Is it grace Let's love people, care for people, show compassion to people. Or is it truth? Let's stand up for what's right and what's wrong. It's easy to pit those two against one another. If you don't believe me, just think about your parents. Some of you had parents where one of your parent, parents was a little bit more on the grace side of things. And so that parent would say things like this. It's okay. Don't worry about it. We just love you. And then you had another parent who was a little bit more on the truth side of things. And they would say, it's not okay. You're going to get a consequence for that, and you can't keep behaving that way. Which parent did you hope picked up the phone at 11 p.m. when you were calling home to see if you could sleep over? <laughs> yeah, Gracie, right? You're like, come on, Gracie, pick up that phone. But if you grew up in a good household, you had a good dose of both of those. See, here's the reality. Most people tend to tip towards truth or towards grace. And so let me ask you, which one do you tend to tip towards? You more of a grace person or more of a truth person? If you're more of a truth person, you strongly believe in right and wrong. That's important to you. That's a high value for you. You're not afraid to call sin, sin. And you get frustrated by people who won't do that. You have convictions about Jesus, God, or the Bible that you would be willing to die for. And all of those are good things.
But the downside of the truth lover is that sometimes in your desire and your love for truth, you can become judgmental to people, harsh, critical, write them off altogether. If a truth lover is not careful, they can quickly become self-righteous and push people away if they care more about the truth than a fellow human being. Others of you are on the opposite end of this spectrum. You are more of a grace kind of person. And if you're a grace person, you love to see people united and getting along. It just drives you nuts during the political season that we're in to see people bickering about issues. Issues are not as important as people. You just want to scream that. And so when you come to church, you love hearing messages about how all people matter to God and about how we should care for the poor. That just resonates with your heart. But the dark side of the grace lover is that in your desire for people to feel included and affirmed, you can sometimes compromise the truth. You get squishy or soft on sin. In your desire not to offend people, you replace truth with tolerance, and you lower the bar so that everybody can step over and feel good about themselves. So again, which one are you? Most people tend to tip towards truth or grace, but the goal is to have a good dose of both. Because look at what the Bible says about Jesus. It says this in the Gospel of John. It says, the word, now Jesus is the word. That's who it's talking about. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John says, we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father, and then get this, full of grace and truth. Jesus wasn't 50% grace and 50% truth. He was full of both of them. And the key word here is and. He wasn't full of truth or grace. He wasn't all grace and no truth. He wasn't all truth and no grace. He was full of both. And then John says we have seen his glory. What does he mean by that? He means that when we looked at this man, Jesus Christ, we could see the glory of God all over him. Why? Because he was full of truth and he was full of grace. What about us? When people look at you and when they look at me, what do you think that they see? In Acts chapter 4, Luke, the author of Acts, had this to say about the earliest Christians who lived in the first century. He said this, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That's the truth piece. They're telling people the truth that Jesus rose from the dead. But then he says, and much grace was upon them all. In the first century in which these earliest Christians lived, there was hardly any ethic of life. And so if you had a baby who wasn't a son and could carry on your legacy, it was socially acceptable in some places to just leave that little baby girl by the side of the road to die. Guess what Christians did? They would come along and they would take those little baby girls and they would bring them into their houses and they would raise them as their own daughters. When the plagues hit, many people ran to save their own lives. Christians stayed to care for the sick at risk to their own life. Julian, who was the emperor at that time, he wrote to a friend in the first century in complete disgust because Julian hated Christians. He said, I can't stop the church from growing, 
no matter how many Christians I kill or put in jail because they feed the poor in addition to their own. Here's a document from outside the Bible in the first century, and this Roman emperor is going, I can't stop the church from growing because they love people, because they are full of grace. But that's not all that they were full of. Luke says that they testified to the truth that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. This is what we call the gospel. If you've ever read through the Bible, you know there's this word, gospel. Here's what that literally means. It literally means a verbal announcement of good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the verbal announcement that Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. I get a little nervous about how squishy some Christians have become with this word. For instance, you'll hear people quote from St. Francis of Assisi. And St. Francis of Assisi once said this. He said, always preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Just think about that for a moment. Always preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Now, I understand what he's getting at, but that's the equivalent of you asking someone, tell me your phone number, and if necessary, use digits. You go, well, wait a minute, I can't tell you my phone number without using digits. You cannot make a verbal announcement that Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead if you don't use words. The gospel is not, I raked the leaves in your yard, I snowplowed your driveway for you, aren't I a nice Christian? That might be a starting point for you to share the gospel with your neighbor, but the gospel is a verbal announcement that Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And the early church understood this. They weren't content just to put food in people's bellies and education in their minds when souls were in jeopardy. See, I'm glad we can put Tom's shoes on people's feet, but I'm also concerned about Tom's soul. And shoes can't fix a soul. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And so the early church was full of truth, and they were full of grace, and it's why they grew. It's why people were attracted to their life, and it's why we should strive to be full of grace and truth as well. In fact, in our time left, let me give you two reasons that each of us here should strive to be full of truth and grace. The first reason is this. Truth with grace frees people. Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 8. He says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Anyone here today need to be set free from something? Free from an addiction? Free from depression or anxiety? Free from lies that you've begun to believe about yourself? The specifics are going to vary, but at the core, God is going to use one thing to set you free, and that is going to be the truth. The truth will set you free. In fact, the Bible has a lot to say about truth. Look what it says in Jude chapter 1. It says this, I urge you to defend the truth. God gave this unchanging truth once for all time to his holy people. I say this because some godless people have wormed their way in among you, saying that God's forgiveness allows us to live immoral lives. I want you to notice three things about this verse. First of all, he says, I urge you to defend the truth. You willing to do that? 
I'm not talking about defending your opinions or your political preferences as much as I'm talking about defending biblical truth. Are you willing to risk disagreement to do that? Then he says that truth is unchanging. In other words, truth is not progressive. It doesn't change with the culture. It's once. It's for all time. But then notice what these opponents of truth have done. They've said, you know, it it doesn't matter. Go, Go ahead, live immoral lives. God will forgive you anyway. They've told people the happy truths of the Bible, like forgiveness. But they've left out the uncomfortable truths, like judgment. They were embarrassed to tell the whole truth. Several years ago, I was at a Twins game with some from friends of mine, and the guys behind us had a strong affinity for beer. In fact, they were on about their sixth or seventh beer when I remembered that I had promised my son Micah that I would bring him home some pink cotton candy. Micah loves cotton candy. He gets that from his dad. And for some reason, he wanted pink instead of blue. So here I am in my late 20s, and I've got to stand up and order pink cotton candy. And there's no little kid sitting next to me because he's at home and I'm bringing it to him. But whatever, I love my son. So I stood up and I waved down the cotton candy guy and I said, hey, I'll have one. He said, what color? Relatively quiet, I said, pink. (laughs) Then he said, I I can't hear you. What, What color did you want? I said, pink, I want pink. And just then there was like a roar in the crowd. So he goes, I can't, what color do you want? I said, I want pink. Pink cotton candy. And just at that moment, there was like a hush over the whole stadium. (laughs) And so I kind of sheepishly look around, and the guy sitting behind me on his seventh beer, he goes, you must feel pretty confident in your masculinity to order pink cotton candy. (laughs) And then his friend, suppressing a chuckle, is like, do you get a My Little Pony toy with that? I didn't even say anything. I just sat down and tried to sneak a couple of bites of this pink cotton candy. Truth is, I love cotton candy, but I didn't feel comfortable sharing that in front of the Budweiser boys. I have no doubt that if I had yelled out, I want a Budweiser, they would have showered me with much love and affirmation in that moment. But that wasn't the truth. I wanted pink cotton candy. That embarrassed feeling about the truth isn't limited to cotton candy and beer for me. See, I find it relatively easy to tell people God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. But it's a little bit more challenging to share some of the uncomfortable truths of the Bible. But here's the deal. The Bible is not a cut and paste book. It's not a pick your own theology kind of book. Be very leery of teachers who leave certain parts of the Bible out. There are some teachers who they would just assume. They'd assume leave out the whole sin thing, leave out the whole judgment thing. They would just assume, tell you, you know, those sins that the Bible talks about, yeah, they're not really sins anymore today. They would just assume gloss over those. But the Bible is not a pick-your-own-theology book. In fact, listen to what one author said about this. He says, the Bible says that God is love. But people today have flipped that to love is God. And in their mind, love means that God doesn't forbid anything or judge anyone. But here's my question. Is that really love? 
Reminds me of an analogy I heard one time about a canoer who was headed down the river towards a waterfall. Imagine that you're standing on the shoreline and you see this canoer headed towards certain death as they go over this waterfall. Would the most loving thing that you could yell out in that moment be, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? <laughs> Just follow your heart, believe in yourself, you'll work out, you'll be fine. No, that's actually probably the most unloving thing you could do in that moment. But I've met people like this. I knew a girl one time who I swear I could have said to her, I'm the Antichrist. And she was like, you're very self-aware. You're very in touch with who you are. I could have said, I eat roadkill for lunch. Oh, that's so cool. No GMOs or antibiotics in those things. I mean, way to go. <laughs> now, that's kind of a humorous example, but it's not so humorous when it comes to eternal life. Penn Gillette, the famous illusionist and comedian, who's also a very staunch atheist, by the way, he was interviewed in the Atlantic magazine, and he had this to say, and this might surprise you. Coming from a man who doesn't believe in God, he says this, I don't respect people who are afraid to talk about their faith. He says, if you believe there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward? He says, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Here's a guy who doesn't believe in God. But he's saying, if you do believe in God, if you do believe in heaven and hell, then the most loving thing you could do would be to tell another person. Not with a bullhorn, not yelling at them, not in a rude kind of way, but in I love you and I want the best for you kind of way. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says this. He says, we have faithfully preached the truth. God's power has been working in us. Paul doesn't say, we've been faithfully telling people what they wanted to hear. He doesn't say, we've been faithfully saying things that will make us popular and well-liked with the vast majority of people. He says, we've been faithfully preaching the truth. Because he knew it was in the truth where the power and the freedom was. I see this sometimes at church. At church, if we ever announce that next Sunday we're going to be talking about sex, that will be like high attendance Sunday. And I've asked other pastors about this around the country, and they say, oh yeah, every single time. If you tell people, hey, here we're going to talk about sex next weekend, everybody and their mom is setting their alarm and rolling out of bed to get to church. Now, on the one hand, I get this, because it's a relevant topic, and we're all curious, like, well, what does God say about that? What does the Bible have to say about that? But on the other hand, I always kind of wonder, what do they think we're going to say? <laughs> like, do they think we're going to say, we found the fifth gospel, just go love the one you're with, okay? I mean, they're going to say, you know, all those things that you thought God was against, like, you know what, he changed his mind, two thumbs up, go for it. That might be popular with a majority of people, but it wouldn't be faithful. And so those weekends, we do our best to faithfully tell what the Bible says about that topic, and we'll have people come up afterwards, and they'll go, oh, that was hard to listen to. That was painful, but it was so good. And we'll go, really? It was? And I'll say, yeah, I was so convicted, and I've, I've blown it in this area of my life, but I feel like that's just what God wanted me to hear today. 
and I feel like he's going to set me free. And I've realized that when you faithfully hear someone tell you the truth, you may not like it at the time. It might be a little painful to listen to even. But if you're humble enough to receive it, that's when you get set free. Truth with grace sets people free. But if truth with grace sets people free, that leads to the second reason that we should be full of truth and grace. And it's this, truth without grace crushes people. In Matthew 23, Jesus is speaking to a crowd about the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders of his day, and he said this. He said, the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the scriptures. So they're kind of like the pastors, the priests, the teachers. He said, so practice and obey whatever they say to you. But he says, don't follow their example. Why? Because they don't practice what they teach, Jesus says. They crush you with impossible religious demands and they never lift a finger to ease the burden. That's what truth without grace does. It crushes people. Jesus is saying, you know, the Pharisees, what they're saying to you is is true. They've got the truth part down. But it's all truth and it's no grace. They don't practice what they preach. All they do is use their finger to point at what you're doing wrong. And they never lift a finger to help you. Ever felt like that before? The good news for you, if you have, is that when Jesus came on the scene in human history and he invited people to follow, his message was not follow certain rules, observe specific regulations, perform ritual duties. His message was follow me. And with those two words, Jesus made it clear that his goal was not to crush people with religious demands, but it was to invite people into a relationship with God. That is the heart of Christianity. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia series, is considered by many people to be one of the most brilliant thinkers of our day. One time, Lewis was invited to a conference on comparative religions And before he got there, the other scholars were debating what beliefs, if any, set Christianity apart. They debated this until C.S. Lewis walked into the room and they posed the question to him. And Lewis said, oh, that's easy. He said, it's grace. He said, all other world religions are about people trying to work their way towards God with their good deeds. He said, Christianity is about God working his way down to people through his son, Jesus Christ, and the grace that he offers. Lewis went on to say these words. He said, grace so goes against our human instincts, which wants to work our way up and win our approval and do our good deeds. He said, grace so goes against our human instincts and violates our pride that man never would have made it up. It's one of the reasons that Lewis believed so strongly in Christianity. Grace stunned him. Let me ask you, does grace stun you? If you've started to lose your sense of awe over grace, maybe this analogy will help a little bit. In 1987, there was a 18-month-old little girl who fell 22 feet down into a Texas well. If you were alive during that time, you no doubt remember this national story because this little girl's name was Jessica. And she became known as Baby Jessica around the country. For 55 hours straight, rescuers tried to reach into this well and pull her out until they were finally able to rescue her. That's grace. 
The story that day was not about an 18-month-old little girl who clawed her way up out of this well on her own. She was utterly helpless. And the Bible says that so were we. Look what it says in Romans chapter 5. It says at just the right time, when we were utterly helpless, Christ died for our sins. Another translation says when we were utterly powerless. In other words, when we were powerless, when we were helpless, when we were stuck in a well of our own sin, God reached down through his son, Jesus Christ, and he rescued us. That's grace. We want the moral improvement plan. We want to crawl our way up to God with our good deeds, but that will eventually crush you. If you grew up in a family with a parent who was all truth and no grace, you know that feeling pretty well. Always trying to win their approval, but always coming up short. Trying to live up to their impossible demands, but never quite making it. If you're here today and that describes you as a parent, even just a little bit, you could be crushing the people around you that you love the most. They may feel like they can never win your approval. And I know you don't want that. Spend some time this week asking God to remind you of his grace in your own life. And that then you could extend that grace to other people. I had to do that this past summer. This past summer, our family was at a Christian family camp for the week. And the way it worked was they had worship and speakers in the morning and in the evening. And then in the afternoon, it was just free time at the beach. And there was this one couple that I quickly began to make some assumptions about. And I'll just tell you, this is an embarrassing story and one that shows you that I have a long ways to go. But I noticed that this couple missed one of the morning worship sessions. Now, never mind that I missed many of the evening sessions. But I started to think, oh, you know, they're just here to use the wave runners and fish. They don't care about the spiritual stuff. And then a little bit later, I saw them using tobacco and some questionable language. And I thought, I wonder why they came to a Christian family camp. That Wednesday night, there was a worship service for high school students. And most adults wouldn't go or didn't go. But I knew the worship leader, and I had heard it was kind of a highlight of camp. And so Sarah and I snuck in after it started. And when my eyes adjusted to the lights in the room, I saw them. This couple standing in the front row, ready to worship God. And for some reason, I was so broken by God in that moment. I, I sat down, and I thought, God... When did I become all truth and no grace? When did I start to forget about the sins that I had a hard time letting go of when I was a new believer? When did I start forgetting about the sins that I still struggle with today and the grace that you show me in my life? As I was thinking about this couple, the worship leader led us in a song called The Stand. And we sing it sometimes here at Eagle Brook, and the chorus just says, I stand with arms high and heart abandoned. And so in this room of all high school students, the worship leader said, I want everybody to raise their hands up and surrender your life to God. Now, just so you know, in worship, some people feel comfortable raising their hands. Other people don't. They're both fine. I don't think it's a sign of greater spirituality. But I want you to picture this scene because everybody in the room raised their hand except three people, this couple and me. I didn't raise my hand because I didn't want them to be embarrassed and feel like they needed to raise their hands. And so I sat down, I began praying for this couple. And as I look up, all of a sudden I see the husband, who's a you know, big, strong guy. 
And all of a sudden, his hand starts going up. And his wife looks over at him, and I can only describe to you her look as this was the moment she had been praying for. And some of you know that. You've been praying for your husband. You've been praying for your wife. You've been praying for your kids that they would genuinely surrender their life to God. And so she didn't even say a word, but she just took his hand with her other hand. And she looked at him with the most tender look, and then she raised up her other arm. And they stood there holding their hands, surrendering their life up to God. I later got to know this couple, and they were super sweet people. And they said, we just started going to this church, and we're making some changes in our life. And I thought, oh, I'm the one who needs to make some changes in my life. Friends, what if every parent here was full of truth and full of grace? So your kids, you know, they knew there was going to be discipline, there was boundaries, and you were going to lead them to know the truth about who God is, but they also knew that there was grace. And there was even some empathy when they struggle with sin. And that they can come and they can talk in such a tender way. What if every spouse here today was full of truth and full of grace? So you could be honest with each other. There was no secrets in your marriage. But when one person messed up and confessed their sin, the other one would give such grace and forgiveness. What if every junior high, high school, or college student who's here today, that when people at your school looked at you, they would say, that person is full of truth and they are full of grace. They stand for the truth of Jesus Christ, but boy, they are a grace-giving kind of person. If you're here today and you tip a little bit towards truth, I want to invite you to pray this week and just ask God to remind you of his grace that he's poured out in your life and that you can extend that to others. And if you're a person who tips a little bit more towards grace, what if you read through the Bible this year and filled your mind with truth? What if you read a challenging book like Kyle Eidelman's Not a Fan? Or what if you were open to the idea that the Bible would be your source of truth and not just what you hear the majority of people in our culture saying is true? Jesus was full of truth, and he was full of grace. Wasn't full of truth or grace. He was full of truth and grace. And he calls each of us to the same. Let's all stand together as we close in prayer. God, I pray for that person here who tips a little bit towards truth. I'm kind of in that camp, God. And we just passionately believe in right and wrong. We passionately believe in the truth of your word and your son, Jesus Christ. And it's all good stuff. But Lord, never let us forget how helpless we were before you saved us. And the sins that we struggled with early in our faith and maybe even still to this day. God, would you remind us to love people and have compassion on people and to show them grace. And God, I pray for those of us here who tip a little bit more towards grace. God, I pray that we can begin to fill our mind with the truth of your word, that we would be passionate about it, that we would be willing to defend it, and that we would take our views of what's true, what's right, and what's wrong from you and from your word And not just from what we see online or what we hear from our culture. 
God, I pray that as a church, people would look at us and they would see that we are full of truth and full of grace. God, I specifically pray for a parent here or a spouse here in a marriage that maybe today just needs to be reminded that, you know what, we need to be full of truth. We need to be willing to set some boundaries or some discipline. We need to be willing to tell the truth and not keep secrets. Or that marriage or that parent or that student who needs to be reminded, you know what, I, I need to give them grace. I just need to give them grace. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.